Hey everyone, this is Miss Hakimoto with your next chapter of Threads. We are in the final stretch. We only have three more chapters left. So yesterday was Clara's chapter and it was a long one, but Clara really got some resolution. She realized she was trying to replace her sister with Yu Ming and she thought if she could save Yu Ming, she could just make her take Lola's place and and that kind of hurt grief empty feeling would go away and she realized that that's not going to work and she finally kind of confronted the fact that Lola really is gone and there's not going to be a replacement for her. So now we're on Yu Ming's chapter and if you remember the last time we saw Yu Ming she realized she was going to use some of that money she had gotten to hail a cab because um, Lee was really sick and the last thing we read was um, Kai yelling at her that he can't breathe. So let's see what happens with Yu Ming and Lee and Kai and Jing. This is chapter 27, July 8th, Sunma, Hebei Province, China. Yu Ming. The sounds of the hospital surround us and they bring to mind the never-ending chug, chug, chug of the sewing machines. Doors swoosh open and shut. A young man moans, a rag pressed to his bleeding forehead. A baby cries. Lee is slumped over Kai's shoulder, his lips tinted purple. I turn in a circle, surveying our surroundings, trying to figure out what to do. Over here, I think, Jing says, pointing to a long line at the front of the room. She races over to secure a spot as Kai and I follow, monitoring Lee's shallow breathing. Memories of Wai Gong pound against my mind, begging to be let in, but I will not allow it. Not now. So if you recall a couple chapters ago, Yu Ming said that Wai Gong also died of a um, lung infection. And so she's trying not to think about how Wai Gong died because right now Lee has a lung infection and he can't breathe. The line creeps forward the way Wai Po walked near the end of her life, when every step and every breath caused her pain. Jing gnaws at her fingernails. I keep my hand in front of Lee's mouth, feeling for his faint breath. Kai stares straight ahead as he holds his brother, a dazed look on his face. He does not say a word. At last, it is our turn to talk to the woman behind the counter. She looks us over. She does not ask for the patient's name and birth date as she did of the man who was in line right before us. For a long moment, she stares at us. Then she clears her throat. Where are the patient's parents? She says curtly. Kai opens his mouth to speak, but nothing comes out. They're working, I say quickly. The woman shakes her head. We cannot admit a child without a parent present. As if struck by lightning, Kai cries out, But he has a lung infection! He can't breathe! He could die! She's silent for a moment. She clears her throat again. Besides, payment is required up front. Do you have money? How much do we have left? Kai asks desperately, shifting Lee's weight. I empty my pockets onto the countertop. Fourteen yuan. I look down, ashamed. We cannot admit a patient before payment is collected, she tells us. So, it's so hard for me to imagine a hospital system where if you can't pay, you won't be treated. Um, In America, 
we do, you know, we have insurance, but we also, our hospitals do charge, but in an emergency room, they never ask about payment. They always just take you first and then they take care of the payment later. And, and really the idea is, you know, everyone's life is important and no one should be denied the right to live because they don't have money. And so in America, our hospital emergency rooms will take anyone if they're having a medical emergency, no matter what. And if you can't pay, then they try and figure something out. But in China, at least in this part of China, if you don't have the money, you don't get medical help. Please, Kai yells. Several people in the waiting room are watching us now. The woman stands up. I think she's going to push us out the door. Instead, she says, stay here. I will ask my supervisor before disappearing through a hallway to her right. I take a deep breath as Kai rests Lee's bottom on the desk. His cheek is still plastered to his brother's shoulder, his face sweaty and flushed, his breathing quick wheezes. The woman finally returns and takes her seat before us. My supervisor's asking the department chair if he will see you. Please step to the side. Jing, Kai, and I exchange glances before Kai lifts Lee and we move to the right. The next patient, a young lady with a blood-soaked bandage wrapped around her hand, steps forward. Time passes. Kai gently places Lee on the floor, his head resting in Jing's lap. I sit beside his feet, my hand on his burning ankle, and watch the red electronic numbers change on the sign on the wall. 52. 53. 54. We don't even have a number yet. Lee grunts as if he's trying to cough, but doesn't have the energy. 68. 69. 70. I close my eyes. I try not to see Wai Gong. You're doing fine, I tell myself. I open my eyes. Kai lies down next to his brother, his hand on Lee's chest to keep track of the faint rhythm of his breathing. 89. 90. 91. The double doors open. They're on the floor right here, the woman says. Kai jumps up and cries, My brother! Before I even have time to stand. Two men stand before us. One wears a white coat with supervisor embroidered on the front pocket. The other, in a navy suit, has his name tag around his neck that reads, Hospital President. I know Jing and Kai cannot read these labels. Sir, I say directly to the president, he cannot breathe. He will die. We'll find some way to pay you later. The president squints at me and purses his lips as if thinking. He squats beside Lee, placing his hand on the boy's cheek and then over his tiny, barely moving chest before standing back up. He looks from me to Kai to Jing. Payment will not be necessary, he finally states, turning to the supervisor. Take them to the fever ward. Supervisor nods. Yes, sir. I want to laugh and cry all at once. I'm so relieved. Jing gently pushes Lee's torso upward to Kai, who hefts his brother over his shoulder again. Thank you, we all say, almost in unison to the hospital president. Thank you. He smiles kindly at us before disappearing back through the double doorway. Jing, Kai, and I all exchange looks of triumph as we follow the supervisor into an elevator, down a hallway, and into a large crowded hospital room with a sign reading Fever Ward 
over the doorway. In the back corner, the supervising doctor parts the curtains of an enclosure and motions to an empty bed. Kai placed Lee carefully on the white sheet. A nurse joins us and the hospital president reappears, pushing one wooden chair toward us and pulling another. A second nurse follows him, carrying a third chair. The first nurse waits until the chairs are pushed against the back wall before unlocking the wheels on Lee's bed and rolling him toward the doorway. He will need a chest x-ray, she states. Kai looks like he wants to protest, but Jing takes his arm and pulls him into one of the chairs where he slumps, exhausted. Now, several hours later, Lee is breathing evenly. His lips are pink once again. An IV drips medication into his vein, an oxygen mask rests over his tiny face, and a plastic hospital bracelet is secured around his thin wrist. Doctors come and go, paying little attention to Jing, Kai, and me, and a new worry takes shape. The police. Surely the hospital president will have to contact the police to deal with the four children who clearly are homeless. I glance at Jing and Kai, suddenly panicked once again, and so, so tired. I picture the police storming into the hospital, Mr. Zhang behind them. These are my nieces. These are my nephews. They're, they're mine. He'll shove us into a car and drive us back to the factory. The days ahead will stretch into a gray forever until I become a woman with dead eyes. Kai? Jing? I ask. The Sunma police, could they be on Mr. Zhang's side too? I don't know, Jing says. She stands up, walks over to Lee's sleeping body and strokes his hand before glancing around at the small curtained enclosure. She looks as if she's torn between wanting to bolt and wanting to stay. Kai, who seems defeated, just shrugs. You always have an answer to this type of question, I say to him, trying to urge him out of his fog of shock and exhaustion. You're the expert. He just shakes his head. He makes me, His quiet makes me uneasy. It makes me feel as if we've already parted ways. The curtains open. Several doctors, including the hospital president, enter the enclosure. The generous president who likely saved Lee's life, smiles our way. I wonder if he's called the police yet. The other doctors don't acknowledge us, but instead crowd around Lee's hospital bed in a semicircle. This is an approximately seven-year-old male, one of them says to others. He was brought in with oxygen deprivation, cough, fever, and loss of consciousness. The x-ray confirmed pneumonia, and he will be on intravenous antibiotic for 10 days. Um, an intravenous antibiotic is an antibiotic that is given to you in an IV, so into your veins. Kai squeezes his eyes shut, perhaps in disbelief, perhaps in relief, perhaps an attempt to block everything out. When he opens them, they are rimmed with pink. He stares down at the tiled floor. I know what I need to do. The president looks from the foot of Lee's bed, shakily, I get up from the wooden chair that he so considerately dragged into the room for me. My heart is chugging and my veins are flooded yet again with fear. There are too many what-ifs in this life that cannot be my life any longer. I move next to the president. The right pocket of his expensive navy suit jacket is heavy with his wallet. I glance around the bed, recalling Kai's words on the bus. Distract him. Engage his compassion. 
I will pay you back. Forgive me, I think. Sir, I say, looking down at my filthy shoes. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Kai raise his head. His feet appeared swollen when we brought him in. Jing leaps up and joins me. Yes, they were, she confirms, as if reading my mind. A tiny smile appears on Kai's lips. So tiny, it's almost not there. Could you take a look, I ask? The hospital president steps closer to Lee, lifts the white sheet off his tiny mud-caked feet and examines them. Jing and I take a step closer, crowding him. After the next harvest, I will send money, I think. They do not appear swollen, the hospital president says. Underneath, I say quietly, pressing closer still. His suit smells like wool, like Wai Gong's good jacket that still hangs on the hook in the corner back home. He bends to peer at the underside of Lee's feet. Jing and I bend too. I look at Lee's feet, calloused by his hard life, and stroke them gently with my right hand. Just there, near the underside of the toes, I lie. It was swollen there earlier. Forgive me. Please, please forgive me, I think. Well, they look fine now, the president announces, smiling warmly at me and then Jing. We'll keep an eye on them. Thank you, sir, we both say again and again. Thank you. Thank you for everything. The president leads the doctors out of the room, closing the curtains behind them. When they are gone, I pull the sheet carefully back over Lee's feet. Kai nods as though he has come, at least partially, back to life. Well done, princess, he whispers proudly to me. Jing squats next to Lee's bed and pulls the thick black wallet out from where I tossed it onto the floor. I pretend not to notice when Kai wipes tears from his eyes. He clears his throat. Hurry, you won't have long, he whispers. Take only what you think you'll need. Jing opens the wallet. Inside, there's a large wad of cash. She shifts through before pulling out a bit more than half. Kai glances at the closed curtains, over to Lee, and then back to Jing and me. Split that between the two of you, he whispers quickly, in case you get separated. Keep it in your front pants pocket only. Make a plan, a meeting spot for every city you stop in, just in case. Here, give me the wallet. He rifles through the cards and pulls out a bus pass. This probably has money on it. Maybe you won't have to pay when you get to the train station. Behind us, Lee's oxygen mask hums and he stirs in his sleep. You better go, Kai says. The doctor will realize this is missing soon, any second. He crouches down and tucks the wallet back onto the floor under Lee's bed. He'll find it here and suspect us. I'll let him search me. He'll see I don't have the money, but he'll know you took it. Fear has made my mouth dry. For a moment, I cannot speak. I hug Kai tightly. If Mr. Zhang doesn't get you first, they'll send Lee to an orphanage, I eventually whisper. I feel him shrug. It doesn't matter, he whispers back. I take a step away from him and see that he's finally smiling again. If that happens, I'll, he'll grab a hot meal there and escape. We'll be back on the streets in no time. I laugh a little because I know what he says is true. When we get far enough south, we'll tell the police about the factory, I promise him. If you end up back there, it won't be for long. We'll make them listen. Somehow, we'll make them do something. Kai nods. Thank you, I say. 
Thank you for getting us out of the factory. Thank you for saving my brother. I wouldn't have brought him here. I walk over to Lee and stroke his grimy hair as Ji Jing hugs Kai silently for a long time. She takes off the thin knapsack she's been carrying since we escaped from the factory and hands it to him. The scissors, she says. They're inside. You might need them. She wipes her cheeks wet with tears. When he seems well enough, cut off his hospital bracelet and get out. Maybe you can escape before the police are called. Kai, wiping his own eyes again, takes the knapsack from Jing. I wrap my arms around his neck. Thank you, I whisper again. It's all I can come up with. Kai takes a step back. We all know that the president will return soon, looking for his wallet. I take Jing's arm. She bends quickly and kisses Lee's cheek. Tell him goodbye for us? I ask Kai. He nods, his lips tight with sadness, worry, and fatigue. With one last look at Kai and Lee, the boys who helped us escape the factory, we slip through the doorway and out the main doors of the hospital into the cool night air. After all we've been through, the journey to the train station seems almost too easy. We board a bus outside the hospital, sliding the doctor's pass through the slot twice. We sit in clean seats as the bus rumbles past the center of town, which is still crowded with the kite festival tourists despite the late hour. The small train station is cool with air conditioning and bustling with people coming and going from the festival. We feel safer in their midst. They make us feel less likely we'll be spotted by anyone who might be looking for us. We make our way cautiously to the ticket window where I ask for two one-way tickets to Shanghai. You'll need to switch trains at Beijing, the ticket seller tells me. If you rush when you get to the station, you'll be able to make the train that departs 10 minutes after yours arrives. I nod. I take the money from her, Jing takes the money from her pants pocket. We have more than enough. Hard seats or soft seats, the woman behind the window asks. I look at Jing. Soft seats will cost more, but I can just imagine it. The two of us leaning back on cushions as we speed away from the north and our fear of Mr. Zhang. As we speed away from everything about this life. We deserve a comfortable sleep, Wai Gong, I think. Jing smiles a little and nods as if reading my mind again. Soft, please, I whisper, silently thanking the president of the hospital and promising once again to pay him back. The next train leaves in less than 20 minutes. Jing and I make our way toward the boarding platform. There are several shops within the station and, still checking over our shoulders for Mr. Zhang and the police, we stop to buy the first packaged food we see and two matching blue sweatshirts. We tuck the shirts over our heads and hurry to the platform where we show our tickets to a man in uniform. Good timing, only a few seats left, he tells us, directing us onto a nearly full train car. We sink side by side into large, comfortable seats at the back. There's only a little window, but we don't care. We've seen enough. In four minutes, this train will depart for Beijing Station. Once there, we'll rush into the first-class car of our next train using the tickets we've already purchased and continue the overnight journey to Shanghai. I can smell the sea now, just eight hours away. I can visualize the ride inland by bus to my rice fields and small, cozy house. They float in front of me, already welcoming me home. And that's the end of the chapter. We've got one more chapter for each girl, so come back to find out 
how the story ends.